Well, this morning we are nearing the end of our study in the book of Hebrews. We have this Sunday and two more, and uh, closing out our study will be Ligon Duncan, who has been with us a number of times before. He is the president and CEO of Reformed Theological Seminary, so please be in prayer for him. And uh, for today, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. You'll find that on page 1008 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews. Uh, a number of years ago, when I first became a senior pastor, I went to a pastor that I had barely known but knew a lot about, uh, a man who had been in ministry for a number of years, very godly man, very dear man, and I just said, would you meet with me once a month just to help me understand what it means to be a pastor? And he did that very graciously, and I very much enjoyed my time with him, learned a great deal from him. But what I want to share with you in these first few moments is something that he learned from someone else and then passed down to me, and it's something he would say changed his life. And I think you'll understand why as we take a look at it. There is a danger that you and I face that is greater than any other danger. There are many dangers that we face, but there's one that is above all of them, one that we really need to be on our guard about, um, and, and it's not something out there. It's not something in our culture. It's something in here, in our own hearts. It, it is, quite frankly, the greatest danger you and I will ever face, and I'm going to show you that in a moment through Scripture, but I want to begin by showing you the way that Hebrews describes this danger. First, in Hebrews 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Second, in Hebrews 3.15, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And third, in Hebrews 5.11, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, we're going to look at that in more detail in just a minute, but what I want to remind you of as we get ready to look at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, is that chapter 11, which you heard last week, is what has been called the kind of hall of faith. The author lists a number of men and women who really lived by faith, men and women just like me and like you, but who finished the race. And they serve as witnesses now to us as we seek to run the same race. And so once he has listed those men and women, he turns to the first verse in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these who have gone before us and finished the race, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we need uh, your word. It is our only authority for life and godliness, and so we look to you today to be our teacher. 
Open our ears to hear, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may not remember her name, but you will remember the story. Bethany Hamilton was just 13 years old when she was surfing off of one of the eight islands that make up the Hawaiian state. She was surfing with a friend of hers, her best friend, who was also 13, when all of a sudden her life was changed very suddenly, as you may well remember. And I want to read you her exact words from that day and what happened. There wasn't even a ripple. I was lying on the board and the shark kind of came out of nowhere. I caught something out of the corner of my eye, but I didn't think anything of it. And you know how when you're eating steak, you kind of have to rip it because it's kind of tough. Well, the shark jerked me like that, but he never pulled me under. It was all red in the water, and then I was like, I got attacked by a shark. Her best friend, who was there, later said she just didn't scream, ever. She just calmly said, shark. And from the loss of her arm and the size of the bite on her surfboard, they estimated that it was a 14 to 15 foot, one ton tiger shark that had bitten her. Now here's why I begin with that. There is a shark in the water here. There's a fin. It may not have broken the water. It won't even leave a ripple, but it can gut you. And the person seated next to you won't even know that you have been attacked. It's described in the book of Hebrews, as we saw a moment ago, in these three ways, each of which has to do with our response to God and to his word. Drift away, harden your hearts, and dull of hearing. And what I hope you can see from those descriptions is that they can happen without even a ripple. I mean, think about a boat. What does it take for a boat to drift? Nothing. Just leave it alone. Don't put down the anchor. Don't put in an oar. Don't raise the sail. Don't turn on the engine. Just leave it alone, and it's not going to stay where it is. It will drift. What do you have to do for clay to harden? Not a thing. Just leave it out, and it will harden. What do you have to do for a really fine knife to grow dull? Again, nothing. Just don't ever sharpen it, and it will grow dull. Drift away. Harden your hearts. Dull of hearing. No ripple. And before you know it, you have been gutted. Now, I'm going to prove, hopefully, to you from Scripture why I believe that what I'm referring to, what Hebrews is referring to here in several places, is the most significant danger that you and I face. If I just say the names of two cities in the Old Testament, your mind's going to immediately go to a very specific kind of sin. Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I know exactly where your mind has gone if you've even ever heard of those. Certainly most of us have read about what took place, the perversion. But I want to show you from Scripture what really was their primary sin 
and it's not what you think. From Ezekiel 16, 49, this is, this is the sin of your sister Sodom, overfed and apathetic, apathetic. The sexual immorality, the abuse of humanity, the abuse of others, and the abuse of themselves, those things were just symptoms of a much deeper cause, a root sin that was their main problem. They were apathetic when it came to God. Understanding him, living for him, living to him. And and here's what happens. When you stop caring about God, uh, you're capable of doing absolutely anything to someone else, to anyone else, and to yourself. At the end of Hebrews 12, verse 1, we're told that God has marked out a race for us. And I need you to understand this morning, it is the race of your life. And all you have to do to lose that race is nothing. Just be apathetic about life with God and you will lose everything. If you're going to run that race well, if you're going to be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, then you've got to be very intentional about two things that this passage addresses. The first is this, you've got to get rid of everything that slows you down. And second, You've got to focus on the one who has already crossed the finish line. So let's begin with this. You've got to get rid of everything that slows you down. Now, here's what's what's going on with with this. In in their day, in the Olympic kind of games, uh, these runners would take off their long robes and quite frankly would take off everything. I mean, they were naked, or naked, as we say here in South Carolina. They did that because they didn't want anything to hinder them from running the race. And and what you're going to see in this passage are two things that hinder us. The first is described in verse 1 in this way, lay aside the weight. In other words, this is referring to things that aren't necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but by wearing them, they slow you down. They keep you from running the race as you should. Now, as uh, my family will tell you, I have a very spotty uh, record when it comes to exercise. And uh, spotty is being nice, because what it really means is Every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, I get uh, the motivation to go out and run. And because it's so rare, I usually don't have the proper clothing to run in. And so many times I have gone out and run in blue jeans. And my children will never, ever let me get over that. But here's the point. Blue jeans aren't sinful, but they're not very smart to wear when you're trying to run a race. When our author tells us to lay aside every weight, he's saying that it's, it's not just sin that slows you down. It's, it's oftentimes things that are not bad in and of themselves. It could be your hobbies. It could be television or social media. It could be video games. I mean, you name it, sports, news, you name it. It's, it's the kind of thing that, that slows you down, that keeps you from really engaging with uh, with a whole heart in the race that God has set before you. And there are two questions. If you want to really get at 
some of those things that aren't sinful in and of themselves but are slowing you down, there are two questions you need to ask. The first is this. Am I spending too much time with this one thing? And here's the point. A good thing becomes a bad thing when you spend too much time with it. It's just as simple as that. Second, here's maybe even more important question, and that is, will it help me win the race or run the race? Will it help me finish the race? Here's the question that we normally ask instead when someone maybe challenges us about some of our habits. Well, what's wrong with it? I mean, that is probably just an excuse to do nothing about it. Don't ask yourself or anyone else what's wrong with it. Ask yourself, will it help me run the race? Will it help me finish the race that God has set before me? That's what you need to be asking yourself. Two questions. How much time am I spending? Will it help me run the race? So first, you've got to get rid of the weights that are slowing you down. Second, You've got to, as we're told in that same verse, lay aside sin which clings so closely. And I have it memorized in the NIV, which I think says it more helpfully, the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I'm going to tell you, I uh, never once in my life have I used a Star Wars analogy in a sermon. But today, I'm going to... Because when I read that again, I've known that verse, I've read that verse a thousand times, but, but when I looked at it again and, and, and thought about what it really means, I went back to the Empire Strikes Back uh, to the time when the enemy had these huge machines. These, they looked like big animals, but they were just machines, and, and they were called AT-ATs, or All-Terrain Armored Transports. And, and they were these big, big machines with long spindly legs, and, and they were just destroying the good guys. And so the good guys finally figured out that if we wrap a cable or a leg around those long spindly legs, those big old machines will do a face plant. And, and they did. Now, let me just stop for a moment and say, I had to go to our resident Star Wars expert, Caleb, <laughs> to find out what those machines were called. I pictured them in my mind, and I went back and looked at it, but he knew what they were. Now, here's the point. Here's where I'm going with this. That's what sin does. When, when, when we allow, especially when you think about besetting sins, I mean, look, we're all going to fail in many ways until glory. But when we allow these besetting sins to continue to get us and we don't really push back, we don't really fight, then what happens is we get up and we do a face plant. And then we get up again and we do a face plant. And, and we don't get to where we're supposed to be going. The point is this. You have got to fight those things that keep you from running the race and, and especially the more obvious struggles that perhaps you've had with sin for many, many years. The longer you have struggled with it, the more difficult it becomes to rid yourself, to lay aside those things that, that are difficult for you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, it's rare that I give you a very, very, very specific homework assignment, if I can call you that. But let's, let's call it application of God's Word, or even better, a response to God's Word. Here's what I want you to do, and, and I pray that every one of you will do it, no matter how young or how old. 
I want you to take one hour this week, just one hour, that's not much. You can give up a bit of television, social media, hobbies, video games, whatever it is. Take one hour, get by yourself, and I want you to make a list of all those things that slow you down. And ask the Holy Spirit to sit with you and give you eyes to see those things that are hindering you from running the race well. That may even keep you from finishing the race altogether. Now, start by listing those sins that you struggle with, the obvious things. But then I want you to go a little deeper. And I want you to list very clearly, very carefully the subtle ways you make provision for them in your life. In other words, the way you set yourself up to fall. And you do it, I do it, with a sin especially that we've struggled with for a very long time. It's very easy for us to set ourselves up to fall because we, we sin because we love it. Let's just be honest. That's why you sin. If, if we didn't love it, we would stay away from it. Then I want you, after you list those sins and and the ways you kind of set yourself up to fall, I want you to list the weights. I want you to just kind of go through your week and and, and look at the things where you spend most of your time and, and ask yourself the question, am I spending too much time? And number two, will it help me run the race? So list those things and then, and and. Put them in writing. Don't don't just think about them. Put them in writing and then list the steps you want to take, you think you need to take to move beyond them, to to lay them aside. Now, I've been doing this lately, and so I'm not asking you to do something that I have not been working at personally. There are things that I have just cut out of my life altogether over the last couple of months. Uh, There are one or two things that I have really cut down on, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I uh, have become kind of a a news addict, and uh, I had this app on my phone, or had an app on my phone until about two weeks ago that updated all day long, and so I could look at any time during the day and read something new. And uh, I found myself going to sleep, reading the news, falling asleep with my phone on my chest. But then I... uh, came across Psalm 1 again that says about the people of God, they meditate on God's Word day and night. And it just convicted me. And so what I did is got rid of my app. Because, let me, I, you know, there's so much news that comes in on, on the apps that we have. And so I just got rid of it and instead signed up for one email a day that gives me five minutes worth of news to read. So I have, I mean, I'm what do they call it, the DTs, when you kind of cut something off almost altogether, and that's what I feel like with, with my news. I've cut way down on news. And, and so, and not just meditating on God's Word in the morning, I also go to bed now meditating on God's Word at night. Uh, it's just a simple example, but, you know, we, we become so involved with so many things. And, and if we just kind of drift we become more and more attached to those things. You have to stop and, and, and really take stock of your life and, and, and figure out where it is you've just kind of drifted away, where it is you've given your life to things that don't really matter and that don't really help you run the race, some of which really uh, make you do face plants. Now, this is going to be difficult. It's a difficult task, and I, I really pray you will do this. And it's going to be difficult for two reasons. The first of which is it is hard to look at the stuff that you don't like about yourself in writing. 
And if you write those things down, it's going to be right there, right there in front of you. So you're not going to like it. It's kind of, it brings some shame, perhaps, uh, and that's okay. Get through that. The other thing that makes it so difficult is God's going to ask you to change. And that's hard because, as I said a moment ago, these things that we grow accustomed to, whether sin or, or these things that we just spend a lot of time with, those are things that uh, we really like. We do those things mostly because we really like to and even love those things. And, and what happens, especially with a kind of besetting sin or something you give a lot of your time to that's not necessarily bad, is that they become your good friends. And so it's hard. And so what do you do? Well, here's where you go back to the very beginning of the passage we're looking at, and you read again, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore, since they surround us, let us lay aside, wait, and sin, those things that hinder us. And, and, and here's, what, here's what is meant by that. It's not that they're looking down and, and, and really seeing us, it's that we're able to know that they are around us, cheering us on in this way. They're basically saying, look, we show you what it is possible for you to do. These men, these women are no different than we are. Yes, they're recorded in God's Word, but they have just as many struggles, just as many temptations. They failed like we do, and yet somehow they kept getting back up and, and shedding those things that hindered them from finishing the race, and they finished it. And so when it gets really tough for you, which it will, which it will for all of us when we ruthlessly shed things that are not helping us run the race, when it gets tough for you, look to them and hear them saying to to you, don't give in, don't give up, and don't give yourself a single excuse. Finish the race. Get rid of everything that hinders you from running and finishing. These witnesses show you what it is possible for you to do. You're no different than they are. There's something else they show us as well, though, and I'll get to our second point with this. They also show you how it's possible. They show you what is possible, what you can do in your life. Even if you never have the great moments that are recorded anywhere, they show you what it is possible for you to do in your own walk, in your own run uh, with God. But then they also show you how it's done, how it's possible. All the way through chapter 11, there are two words attached to those who are listed as the kind of heroes of our faith. Those two words are by faith, the only way, the only way they could accomplish the great deeds that they accomplished, the only way they could finish the race was by faith in God. And so you see, by faith, Abel, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Moses. And on and on and on it goes. And then as we look at verse 2, we're told what that faith looks like for us. Here is where we've got to focus on the one who has already crossed the finish line ahead of us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I have a race to run. It is a course God has marked out for each one of us. And we are to finish by looking ahead to where Jesus stands at the finish line, ready to welcome us home. We'll never finish that race unless we do that, unless we every day begin to look to Jesus in his word. It is to him and it is for him that you run. This looking to Jesus is what one fellow PCA pastor calls the secret of the Christian life. And he is, he is absolutely right. It is the encouragement we need to run this race. Because if you, if you look at the world, you're going to be enticed by the many things that it offers you. Or you're going to be fearful of the threats that the world does hold out for us as well. If you look to yourself, you're going to see maybe a few pitiful successes and a lot of failures. That's not always real encouraging. But when you look to Jesus, you begin to have energy to run. And really put simply, you could say it this way. If most of your focus is on the things of this world, uh, you will not only love this world more than you love Jesus, you'll become like this world. But if your focus is on Jesus, you will learn to love him more than the world and you will begin to become like him and you will run the race that he ran ahead of you. You see, the more you focus on Jesus, the more you look at what he has done for you to make a way for you, Uh, the more you focus especially on the cross where he uh, died to make you and and me right with God, Uh, then the more your heart is moved in love for what he has done for you. You Some of you uh, may know the movie, the old movie, Bridge Over River Kwai. I have watched probably about every World War II movie there is. For some reason, I'm just, uh, uh, just really enjoy them. And, um, The movie was probably one of the most interesting kind of psychological World War II movies, but there is a book that was written by Ernest Gordon called Miracle on the River Kwai, which tells the true story of these World War II prisoners of war building the Burma Railroad. And in the book, he tells this amazing story. At the end of the day, they had to count their tools, and and the Japanese guard who was watching over them said, one is missing. And uh, he was angry, and he yelled at the POWs, who did it? Whoever did it, stand forth, come forth, you know, step toward me. Nobody moved. And then he just, in rage, he starts pointing his rifle at all of them and says, well, all die then, all die. And finally, one man, one POW, steps out and stands to attention while this Japanese guard beats him to death, truly, with his rifle. At the end of the day, later on, when they counted again, there wasn't a shovel, there wasn't a tool missing at all. They had simply miscounted. Now, what motivates the heart 
of someone who is completely innocent to give his life for the sake of others. Well, we're told in this passage what motivated Jesus to do that. It is the joy that was set before him. Now, there may be a number of things that that refers to, but I'm going to focus on one. There was a joy. There was something put out in front of him that was so great, so exciting, so valuable to him that he was willing to bear the cross. Now, so what was that joy? Well, in Isaiah 53, we're told that Jesus was rejected by men so that he will justify many and one day see his offspring. Who are his offspring? Well, you are and I am if we are indeed in Christ Jesus, if we have turned in faith and trusted him with our lives. You are his offspring. I am his offspring. What got Jesus so excited, excited enough to endure the cross, was the joy, believe it or not, of being with us forevermore. He looked forward to the day he would have us in his arms, the day when he would shower us with love and delight. That's what enabled him to endure the cross. In a sense, you did. Look to Jesus. He is your example. He is the one who has cleared the path for you to run in by going to the cross on your behalf. And he is the one who waits for you at the finish line with open arms. Whatever it takes, Take the time to reflect on those truths. Look to Jesus day after day after day as you see him in his word. Do not let apathy gut you. Take whatever steps are necessary. And I, I really mean whatever steps are necessary. Sometimes it's very awkward to get beyond our sin and our, and our bad habits Sometimes it takes speaking with someone else and asking them to, to walk with us through that. Whatever it takes, finish the race. Don't let another Sunday go without stopping for one hour to take stock of your life. We have a few short years to run this race that God has set out before us. Don't waste them. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, these years are precious, and uh, we forget that at times. We become kind of nonchalant. We become apathetic even at, at what you have called us to do, what you've called us to be about. Lord, uh, may this be a congregation marked not by apathy but by enthusiasm to run the race, looking to you, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, that we might indeed finish well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.